Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you've spoken to your people down the centuries through it. Thank you that you can speak to us through it today. We ask, Lord, for open ears and willing hearts to hear your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for the readings. Um, last week, uh, Richard uh, spoke from chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and he, he started by talking about the way in which uh, when we read a letter of Paul, particularly uh, this one, Corinthians, it's a bit like listening to somebody on, um, on a, a railway carriage having a phone conversation with somebody. You know, I expect you've all been in that situation where somebody's on their phone and they're just slightly too loud. And, 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 and yes, and they're usually in a silent, quiet carriage. And, you, you know, because we're British, we won't ever say anything to them, but we'll just fume away quietly. Um, and, uh, but we just get half the conversation, don't we? We get their half. And we're wondering what's going on at the other end and what the sort of questions and conversations are uh, that enable uh, this conversation to happen. And that's a little bit what it's like when we read one of Paul's letters. We are hearing half the conversation. We are hearing what Paul says back to the Corinthians. But this passage we read today gives us a little glimpse of the first half of the conversation because it seems like Paul is actually quoting words that the Corinthians have said. He's actually saying things back to them that they have said themselves. So I'll just, I'll just scroll back to that, uh, that bit at the beginning. Uh, they seem to have this phrase, I have the right to do anything. Paul actually quotes it back at them twice. This seems to be uh, something that they were quite fond of saying. I have a right to do anything. Now, when you, when you first hear that, you might think, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit stroppy. Um, why would they say something like that? But actually, when you begin to think about it, it's actually quite understandable why people who have come to believe in Jesus might reach this conclusion. Jesus sets us free. This was Paul's experience. He was a very zealous Jew. He was somebody who kept the law. We read in, in some of his other uh, letters, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He did everything that one might expect a good Jew to do. Uh, but when he met Jesus in that sort of miraculous moment that we read about uh, in Acts chapter 9, something changes and Paul begins to realize that he has been set free set free from a lot of other things that he no longer needed to do because of the grace and the love and the joy and the power poured out through Jesus on the cross he is free and and in the book of Galatians he even says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free so there is this very deep sense in which, as Christians, we are set free, aren't we? And uh, living as we do in our wonderful uh, parish of, of Springfield, um, it doesn't take very long before you, before you meet people who, 
who are keeping certain laws, certain things, you know, that are halal and certain things that are haram, certain things you can eat, certain things that you can't eat. And, and as a Christian, I sort of scratch my head sometimes and I think, well, why, why would you want to do that? Because it's not what goes in, it's what comes out. It's the quality of life. So you see, Paul had discovered this amazing gift that Jesus had set him free and he goes and he proclaims to Jew and to Gentile, look, Jesus has set us free. We can be free from our sins and free from the burdens of keeping these regulations. And uh, it's one of the big battles of the early church. Did those who came to believe in Jesus also have to keep the Jewish law? It's a big battle that rages across the pages of the New Testament. And um, some of the early believers uh, who were Jews said, yes, they should. And some of the early believers said, no, they shouldn't. And in the end, the no, they shouldn't won. Jesus has set us free. So when they say, I have the right to do anything, surely they're on to something. Jesus has set me free. I don't have to keep laws and rules. Surely I can do everything. Paul takes these words and says, now look, you do, you have been set free, but you've got to use your freedom wisely. You've got to use your freedom carefully. One of the translations uh, uh, when in the second time he says, I have the, root, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. One of the translations there is, I have power over all things. But Paul says, but do not be overpowered by any of them. Paul is saying, yes, you have been set free. But you've got to be careful not to use this freedom to then find a new way of being enslaved, of being overpowered, of having the very freedom that Christ has given you taken away. And I guess all of us have experienced that, haven't we? Having thought, well, I'm, I'm free to try this. And very soon we find that our freedom is taken by the very thing that we chose to, to, to use it to express. A few weeks, few couple of months ago, Mags stood at the front of church and, and, and challenged us for a day of, of prayer and fasting for our new pro, our building project. And, and I, I, I thought, well, that's a word from the Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. And, uh, and I did, and it was okay. And I went one day without coffee, okay? And do you know what? I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was going to die, okay? <laughs> Seriously, it was horrible. It was horrible. So I'm free, aren't I? I'm free to drink coffee or not to drink coffee. But actually, I use my freedom to drink coffee and now I'm totally and completely hooked, okay? But it can happen in more serious ways, can't it? Substances we might take, things we might watch, actions we might do, thoughts that we might have. Paul makes clear that freedom can be used in such a way that we actually end up 
losing it. And more than that, we are set free in order to live as God's holy children. And the way in which we live has a lot to do with the way in which we conduct ourselves physically. Now, as you hear these words being read out again, it's very easy, it's very easy to, to go down a sort of, a, a, a kind of rabbit hole of making yourself feel very guilty very quickly. You might be thinking, but well, here we go again, the Christian faith and the church just making people feel awful about themselves, particularly if there's anything wrong sexually with, with my life, that this becomes a source of guilt and oppression, and I am made to feel awful about myself. Can I say this is not what this passage is about? Paul is being very clear that the people in Corinth cannot use their freedom to indulge all their appetites. He's making it very clear that Jesus has not set them free so that they can then go to prostitutes. He's making that very clear. But he is not trying to make them feel awful about themselves. He's saying your bodies are important for two really important reasons. Okay? And I want to tell you what those reasons are. Let me find the right verse. Um, here. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. 1 Corinthians begins with the beautiful passages that we've been thinking about, about the foolishness of the cross. It ends in chapter 15 with an incredible passage about the resurrection of the body. Of the fact that when Jesus is raised from the dead, he is raised physically. People can touch him, speak to him. He can eat People can interact with him. We say, week by week, when we say one of the full creeds, that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, we see in Jesus that it will be a transformed body. The same but different. Jesus is able to enter into locked rooms. He comes and he goes. But as I say, he can say to, to Thomas, Put your hands here. He can speak, he can share, he can eat. There is something very earthy and real and physical about his resurrection. The details aren't filled in in the New Testament, but it seems clear that our bodies matter so much to God that they will be part of the resurrection. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I've got a jippy shoulder or a jippy knee. And I, I mean, is, that, or is that going to happen after the resurrection? Can I tell you? I don't know. I don't know. I sincerely hope not. I sincerely hope I'll be able to play football again in heaven, okay? But the point is, God loves you so much 
that your body, who you are, is part of his plans. His plans for now and for eternity. That just as Jesus is raised from the dead, so you, so we will enter into this resurrection. And if our body is so precious that the resurrection touches it and transforms it and brings it into new life, then here and now it is worth caring for. It is part of the promise of God, part of his mercy. Look, he has created us. He has redeemed us. He will resurrect us. First and foremost, Jesus has been raised from the dead and we too will be raised from the dead. Our bodies matter. And then secondly, this phrase that perhaps we're familiar with. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. As I say, perhaps a familiar image, but just pause on it for a moment. Remember who is saying it. Paul, a Jew, a first century Jew who could see the temple in Jerusalem, who'd probably worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem a number of times. This beautiful building, this expression of the presence of God. Somewhere that was precious to Jesus. He went and he cleansed it. And do you remember, as Jesus dies on the cross, where are we taken? We're outside the city. We're on the Temple Mount. We've got the crosses. Jesus dies. It's all dreadful. And where are we taken in the Gospels? Immediately afterwards, we're taken into the Temple, to the Holy of Holies. And the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. This is the place where God dwells with his people. And, G and Paul says, you, I, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are precious. We are hugely significant. God dwells within us. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, when it comes to sexual matters, the church and Christians are very quickly seen as negative, judgmental, and invoking huge amounts of guilt. That is not what Paul is doing here. He is saying something massively positive. You and I are going to share in the resurrection of Christ. Our bodies will share in the resurrection of Christ. And even more, we are here and now places where his holy presence already dwells. Why are we to live as the holy people of God? Because we are touched by his resurrection power and because he already dwells within us. And it isn't easy. In our house, we, we enjoy watching uh, the American sitcom Friends uh, from the 1990s. And I, I watched it the first time round. And do you know what? I've, I've watched most of them the second time round, okay? I'm sure there wasn't that much sex in it the first time round, okay? <laughs> 
They're always jumping into bed, aren't they? Always. Almost every episode. Either with each other or with other random people. That is mainline entertainment. What does it say to our young people? What does it say about their bodies? What does it say about honouring them and honouring God? We are set free to live as the holy people of God. A few years ago, we uh, prayed out uh, one of our young people, and, and, and to my shame, I can't actually remember which one of our young people it was who we were praying off to university. And, um, uh, and, and Sam Yule, who's a, um, a lovely guy, he's, they now go to another church, him and his wife and the family. But I remember Sam praying for this young person. And he said words to this effect. He said, Lord, if there are some no's that they need to say, help them to hear your greater yes behind them. Some no's we may need to say in order to hear the greater yes behind them. No, but yes to the goodness of God. Yes to his presence. Yes to his power. Yes to the fact that I am precious in his sight. Yes, because my body matters. Yes, because it matters because Jesus has risen from the dead and I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. So will I enjoy? Yes, of course I will. Am I set free to enjoy? Yes, of course you are. One of the early church fathers said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Okay? <laughs> the glory of God is a human... I've said that loads of times. Sorry, I thought you'd remember that. There we are. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Does he want us to be alive? Yes, of course he does. Alive to enjoy who we are. And yes, if our bodies are, are, are wilting, if, if things are not as we'd want them to be, we come to him, Lord, and say, Lord, uh, help me to live fully within the constraints that I have. You are free. You are precious. You are the dwelling place of Christ. <laughs> live holy lives not out of guilt not out of some horrible judgmentalism but because Jesus has risen again and you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit Amen <laughs>